All right, well, today we're going to explore this passage of Scripture in 1 Peter. And we've, we've been talking about our, our four Bs of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And today we're focusing in on becoming like Jesus. And, and ultimately, I want to encourage you that this is incredibly important because this is where life is found. If you f- are sitting here this morning and you feel like there's something missing in my relationship with God, if, if maybe what I thought Christianity was, was all about seems to somehow come short, this is where it's happening. And, and where I want to encourage you is when you discover the truth that's here in, in God's word and how to live that out, you will discover incredible transformation in your heart and in your life. Now, over the last few weeks, I've shared a little saying with you that um, I'm hoping is beginning to sink in. And it's, it's basically um, talks about our purpose. We were created in God's image to do two things, to share Jesus' life and to show his greatness. We were created in God's image to share Jesus' life and to show his greatness. That's your and I purpose uh, in everything that we do. It's the reason why we exist and it is where life is found. And becoming like Jesus, if we're made to share his life, this means that he becomes more and more a part of us because he is in us and we are in him. And, and, the, and we should be becoming more and more like Jesus. Well, this passage of scripture gives us some very practical instruction about how that happens. Because if you're like me, at least I went through a, a long time in my um, walk with Christ where I didn't really feel like I was growing in becoming more like him. Or I would feel exhausted because I was doing things out of my own strength and my own power. I was trying harder to be better, but usually doing worse. Here the scripture tells us how we can become more like Christ. Now obviously it begins by placing our trust in him as Savior and Lord in the first place. But then he gives us some practical instructions. Let's look at the first thing that he tells us to do here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Let's, let's read that verse again. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first step, if we're to become more like Jesus Christ, is not for us to work harder. It's not for us to go to church more, although that can be a good thing. What is most important is that you set your hope fully on God's grace. That's the first step. Because the transformation that happens in your life and my life is not our work. It is the work of God. And so we have to set our hope not on us being better, but on who God is and what he has already done and the grace that he abundantly pours out upon us. Now, um, if you've been in church very long and you've had very many pastors, you'll know that they, have, they all have their sets of, of ways that they refer to things. One of those we're going we're gonna to hit here, and I'm going to go ahead and use the, the preacher cliche. This verse starts with a therefore. And whenever you see a therefore, what are you supposed to ask? 
What is it there for? You guys are good. Yeah, why is it there? In other words, what it's telling you is whenever you hit a therefore and you're reading through the scripture, you need to go back. You need to back up and see what it's talking about because it's telling you how to accomplish something that has already been revealed. So what is it? The reason the word has set our hope fully on God's grace is told to us in the verses that precede it. So let's back up to verses 6 through 9. Let's see what it says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In this you rejoice. He's talking about trials. And, and he's, he's writing to the people who are, who are exiled, people who are living outside of their homeland, people like you and I for the most part. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In other words, right now, life may be difficult for you. The things that you were expecting um, to happen haven't happened. The things that you were counting on and hoping for maybe didn't come to pass. And you're going through trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, what he's saying is when Jesus comes back and everything is revealed, you're gonna discover that what he was doing in you and in me was absolutely amazing and it was worth far more than any of the comforts or pleasures that maybe we were looking for in the trials that we were going through. He's saying it's going to be amazingly good. But then verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's the therefore. The reason why we're to take these steps is because God has inexpressible joy for you and I that is found when the love of our life becomes fully rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. God isn't saying, I want you to be religious. I want you to do all these different things. What I want you to experience is the inexpressible joy of loving Jesus and sharing his life. This is the hope that I have for you. This is the life that you are looking for and I want to show you how to have it. And it begins by setting our hope fully on God's grace. We are saved by grace, not of ourselves, not of works, not of anything that we can do lest we could boast. We are saved by the goodness and grace of God himself. That's our confidence. So we're to begin by focusing on God's grace, therefore preparing your minds for action. What he's saying is if you want to have this joy, you're gonna have to fight for it because there is obstacles in the way that are keeping you and I from experiencing this inexpressible joy. And he wants to show us exactly how to experience it. So the first thing we do is focus in on God's grace. The second thing that we do is get rid of what is keeping you from loving Christ and becoming like Jesus. Removing the obstacles that keep us from experiencing it. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former 
ignorance. In other words, when you were going through life before, apart from Christ, before you knew Jesus Christ, you were pursuing happiness that the world offers. You were pouring out the passions of your life into what you hoped would bring satisfaction and joy. But if we understand that the source of true joy is Jesus himself, then trying to find it anywhere else will always fall short. Because what we discover is that sin keeps us from becoming like Jesus and it robs us of joy. The very life you and I long for is possible. The hope that you have deep inside that life is unimaginably blessed. Not necessarily always good, because remember, this is set amongst people who are in the middle of trials. But there's an inexpressible joy even in the brokenness of this world. But we've got to no longer be conformed to the passions that drove us in our old life. Now, these passions, these sinful desires are of our old nature. And you've heard me refer to it in myself as old dead Drew. Old dead Drew doesn't have any life inside of him. And old dead you doesn't either, spiritually. So you're not going to find the joy that you're looking for in the passions of your life outside of Christ. It's going to come from something else. Something that keeps us from experiencing inexpressible joy. And why is that? Well, I want to show you a verse that's very significant to understanding why it is that you can't find joy outside of Christ. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it is, uh, is a, an incredible book written by King Solomon filled with wisdom and insight on the human condition. It is raw. It, it cuts right to where we are, what we're experiencing day by day. And he has an incredible insight given by the Holy Spirit in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. He says this, What gain has the worker from his toil or his labor? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. But look at the next phrase. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. The reason why we cannot find joy outside of Christ is because you and I were made for eternal life. And this world can never fill an eternal gap because everything is temporary. Two, and we're going to show a clip of it in just a moment, where um, Louis was part of a, 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 a bomber plane and with his crew that crashed into the Pacific Ocean. And for 47 days, he and two of his friends were adrift in a rubber raft, surrounded by water with nothing to drink. That is the world that we live in spiritually. Now, now to, to kind of let that sink in and, and that mental picture come into your heart and mind, I'm going to show you a little clip from the film. And this is, this is a, a time when, where Louis is wrestling with spiritual questions. He's been there for several days. Um, he's about halfway into his 47 days on the ocean. Let's, let's take a look at the clip. 
this. Forensic microbes. I swear I'll dedicate my whole life to you. I'll do whatever you want. His two friends are surrounded by water. 70% of the surface of the earth is covered in salt water. Water we cannot drink. Because if you drink salt water, you actually dehydrate. Because your body cannot process that level of salt. It creates a deeper, deeper thirst and you actually die of dehydration when you drink salt water. Folks, that is the condition that we are in spiritually. We live in a world that offers and looks like it's going to present something that could quench our thirst, but it's all salt water. And what God is asking us to do is to trust him and to drink of him of the living water, which can truly quench the thirst of your soul and my soul. Now, how does this work out practically in our lives? Because what I believe we see here in the scripture is what he's telling us to do when he says, do not be conformed to the former passions of your life. What he's saying is stop drinking the salt water because the things of this world will never satisfy. And the thing that keeps us from experiencing the inexpressible joy that God offers us is that you and I tend to drink of the fluid of this world, the salt water of idolatry. That is really the problem that keeps us from experiencing the life and the victory God wants us to have. Now, oftentimes we don't think of it as idolatry. Because when we think of idolatry, we think of uh, maybe uh, a different religion with false gods where there, there are different idols that you bow down before. But anything that you're drinking that you're trying to quench your eternal thirst other than God can be an idol in your life and in my life. We see this revealed in the scripture. Colossians chapter three, for instance, gives us a list, listing of things that we have a tendency as humans to turn to, to quench our thirst, but they ultimately are idols. Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter three. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly, what is 
salt water in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, in the scripture, we have different listings of some of these areas of sin, but they all have exactly the same root. All of them are idols that we're trying to find life in rather than the living water of God himself. And so what Peter is telling us here is he's saying, stop drinking the salt water. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't keep trying to find pleasure and life in something that can never quench your thirst. Now, how do we do that? Well, the first thing I believe we have to do is we need to look at the idols in our life because you and I all have them. And my hope is that the Holy Spirit will begin to help you identify some of those idols Today, because I want you to have the victory of inexpressible joy in drinking from the living water of Christ himself. So the first thing we have to do is we need to see sin in our own life, not as a weakness, but as the enemy of our soul. Your sin and my sin is not just a weakness. When we view sin as a weakness, we tend to make allowances for it. We tend to find ways to make excuses for our sin. But when we recognize what it truly is as the enemy of our soul seeking to rob us of the life God wants to give us, it changes the dynamic. Peter writes about this over in in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. See, he's not pulling any punches. He's saying that these things, this this list of different symptoms, all of which are idols in your life, are battling against who you are and who God wants to transform you into being as you become more and more like Jesus Christ. So we need to search out the idols of our own heart. And the idols are not all bad things. Sometimes they're good things. But they're good things that have received the wrong focus in our life. They're things that can begin to take God's place. You see, a good thing can become a God thing if we turn to it for comfort. Anything that we want more than God can be an idol that we worship in his place. So how do you know what the idols are in your life and in my life? Let me give you some diagnostic questions and ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart and reveal these. And the reason I do it is not to make you feel guilty. That is not the purpose at all. It's to reveal that these things are keeping you from quenching the deep thirst of your soul. You're drinking salt water and God wants to offer you living, refreshing, soul-quenching water. But you can't keep drinking salt water. You've got to put that away so you can drink of the living water. So look at these questions. Where do you turn for comfort when you're stressed? When you have a hard day, when you get back home, when you get off by yourself, what is it that you turn to? In our world, 
one of the great enemies of our soul can be entertainment. Not that it's necessarily bad, but when it becomes something we turn to to quench the eternal thirst in our life, it can become an idol. Pornography has robbed so many people of life. It is an enemy of our soul. It is drinking salt water instead of the refreshing life that God wants. Same kind of thing we can turn to power, to control. All these things that we can try to turn to when we're stressed. It can be an indicator, it's an idol in our life. What is your escape when you're suffering? What are the things that you fantasize about? It can be sex, success, food, fitness, relationships. Any of those things can be symptoms that are showing you this has become an idol in my life and it's robbing me of what God has for me. What defines you? Where do you find your significance, your meaning, and your purpose? Another great question to ask is what deep inside are you most afraid of losing? I know in my life, at one point in time, ministry was an idol. Ministry is a good thing, right? It was an idol in my own heart. And it was revealed because there was a point where I could see I, I could lose it. And it was frightening. And the Lord had to use that in my own heart and life to bring conviction to my soul so I could put it back in his hands and say, Lord, if I have ministry, that is great, but it's yours. If I don't, that's great because I'm yours. What do you spend too much money or time on? Could that be an idol in your life? And ultimately, if you were truly honest with yourself and others, what do you worship? What do you turn to most to meet the thirst in your soul? Anything other than Jesus will be sipping salt water. Even good things. And God wants to set us free. You see, we have a tendency to do one of three things with God's gifts. We can either take them and turn them into a, a God with a little g, an idol, or we pursue what he has given us and try to find satisfaction in the gift rather than in the giver. Or sometimes what we'll do is we'll have a revulsion to that gift. We'll take something that God has made good and we'll treat it as, as garbage, as trash. Sometimes people do that with sex. God gave this incredible gift and, and a design for how it is to work. But others have looked at that and said, no, I don't want anything to, to, to do with that. And, and I'm going to treat it not as a gift, but as, as something dirty. Whereas in the right context, in the right setting, in the beauty of marriage, it is an incredible gift. And so we can tend to take his gifts and treat them as an idol or treat them as trash, or recognize that the giver loves us, that they are simply a joy we are able to experience when we find our true quenching thirst in him alone.
So, the scripture talks about the contrast between drinking living water and trying to quench our thirst with temporary things in all kinds of places. Jesus used this illustration. We talked about it a couple weeks ago in John chapter 4 where at the woman at the well, he offers her living water. He does the same thing in John chapter 7 and it goes back to a passage of scripture in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. He said, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have, excuse me, and they have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They're trying to quench their thirst with the things of this world rather than with me. And sin and idolatry is like drinking salt water. It only makes us thirstier and thirstier. So what are some of these idols of self? Well, I put down a a few that at least came to my mind, most all of which I'm guilty of. So if you find yourself in the list uh, at one or two, you're probably ahead of me. So um, take courage. Some of the saltwater idols of self, judging, gossip. Oftentimes it's a reflection of jealousy in our own heart and life towards others. When we are self-righteous, which is an absolute contradiction because none of us can be, when we're judging others, it's an indicator that we're trying to tear down someone else in order to lift ourselves up rather than see them with the eyes that God sees them with as one who is created in his image to share his life and to show his greatness. Sex and lust can be idols. Control and pride can be idols. We can have a great work ethic, a good thing, a gift of God, but so seek to be in control that it becomes an idol in our life. Money can be an idol. That's why Jesus spends more time talking about money in the New Testament than he does about hell. Because he recognizes that it can be an idol that will keep us from experiencing the inexpressible joy he wants to give us. Food, comfort, works, other people, our reputation, all these things can be be idols in our life. And what God wants us to do is to turn from them and to place our trust in him. Now, how does this work? Well, there, there's a, I'm going to put on the screen, you see in your bulletin there, uh, there's a salt water cycle that happens to you and I in temptation. What happens is we begin to listen to a lie. If I do X, I will find comfort. I will find peace. I will find security. I will find salvation in this moment. I want you to think about those things because all of those things are exclusively God's. God alone. But what we do is we tend to turn to temporary things and listen to a lie just like Eve and Adam did in the beginning. They were looking to quench their thirst with something other than God. And so they listen to the lie of the enemy. And when we listen to that lie, to that temptation, what happens is then we take a taste. We begin to drink. 
of the salt water. And then once we've drunk of it, maybe there's that moment of pleasure, but it is followed by a sense of even deeper emptiness and thirst. And so we begin to suffer. We begin to feel the pain because it didn't deliver the lasting effect we hoped it would. And it becomes a cycle because next time what we do in temptation and when we listen to the lie of the enemy is we need a little bit more. This is how people are lured into addiction in all kinds of different forms. Sin is addictive because it cannot quench the thirst of our souls. So the only way to break that power is to focus on the grace of God, stop drinking the salt water, and instead begin to drink deeply of the living water of Christ himself. He's the one who can quench our thirst. And, and that's what Peter tells us in the very next verses. Look at verse 16. Now let's, let's back up to, to verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now this idea of holiness is not an idea of, um, in and of itself, of perfection. What it is, is it means being set apart for God's intended purpose. When you view your life as set apart for God's purpose and for him to be your, your life and for you to share his life, that's when you are being holy as he is holy. doesn't mean that we are sinless because we can't, um, we're still gonna continue to sin and stumble and struggle. But when we begin to see our life as who he saved us to be, that we belong to him and that he is the one who provides satisfaction, we can become more and more like Christ, more and more holy. So we need to begin to live like a saint, like who we're called to be. Say, I'm trusting not in my ability, but in the grace of God. I'm trusting fully in the grace of God, as it tells us in verse 13. And then we are to begin to drink more and more of Christ. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, when we come and drink of Christ, he fills us with, our, with his Holy Spirit. His presence takes up more and more residence in our heart. And when he is present in your life and in my life, it does not matter what kind of circumstances we are in. Because the very life-giving, eternal, soul-quenching, living water is living within us in the Holy Spirit. And that's where there's inexpressible joy. That's the life God wants to offer you and I. He calls us to drink of him and to live like who he is. Well, let's look down at verse 22 and we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. 
Verse 22 tells us what God has done for us and then how we respond to what he has done so that we can drink deeply of him. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. What he's saying is, when you come to me and say, Lord, I want to focus in on your will, what you want me to do. That obedience works like a filter that takes the salt water of the world out of our soul. Just like physically, what happens when you, when you drink salt water is your kidneys attempt to filter and purify out the salt, but it's more than they can process. But spiritually, what happens is that when we put ourselves in God's hands and say, your will be done, not mine, and we begin to obey him, what he commands us to do, the salt of this world begins to be filtered out of our life and we're refreshed. We feel his life-giving presence more and more and it will result in, in a beautiful fruit of love towards others. Obedience will always bear the fruit of love. That's what he's telling us. Obedience, living the truth of God's word is not a burden. It is life-giving. And it results in something even greater, which is love. This verse right here in verse 22 and 23 is, is what Jesus Christ lived. It is the action steps of becoming like him. And this is what I want you to take home with you. Begin first with the attitude of Jesus, seeking God's will in every area of your life. Ask the Lord to, to reveal to you the idols of your own heart and then ask him for the grace to turn from them to quit trusting in those false things that look like they might be refreshing, but it's just an ocean of salt water and turn it over to him and say, Lord, I want to do your will. I want to obey you in every aspect of my life. Jesus said in John chapter four that his food was to do the will of the father. When that becomes the hunger of our soul as well, doing his will, we find incredible satisfaction and joy. Knowing that God is not only pleased with us, because he's already pleased with you, he chose you before the foundation of the earth. He loves you. But when your life begins to live in sync with his Holy Spirit, with his presence in you, then you're free to live out and accomplish his purpose and his will and you see and feel the Holy Spirit working in and through you in powerful ways. So the attitude of Jesus is, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Secondly, we need to recognize our access to the living water is God's word. We are to soak our life in God's word. The only way not to drink of the salt water of sin and selfish idols is to drink from the living word. We need to immerse ourselves in his word on a constant basis. First Peter chapter one, verses 23 through 25 
shows us this as well. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and the glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus dealt with temptation. He was tempted by Satan with the salt water of this world and he was successful and never sinned because he trusted in the word of God. He soaked his life daily in God's word, in his presence. That's why in answer to the temptation, Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Soaking in God's word will quench your thirst. And one of the great tools that we have, because technology just gives us all kinds of resources that generations past haven't had, there's an incredible little app um, called Bible.is. And um, it comes from a a company called, uh, our ministry called Faith Comes By Hearing. And it'll give you an audio version of the Bible, either dramatized or just straight up word in hundreds and hundreds of languages. Your heart language will be there. And it's free, and you can download it, put it on your phone, listen to it. This is one of, been the, one of the greatest blessings of my life is to put on my headphones and just listen to God's word over and over again. It quenches the thirst of my soul. I want to encourage you to do that. It's free. Can't get better than that. So, our access to Jesus is to soak in his word. And finally, We are to practice the actions of Jesus and serve God's work. Having, verse 22, having purified your souls by the obedience of the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And that will produce the beauty that Ian's gonna talk about next week. How we are to beautify the world around us with the love of Christ and show his greatness. Each of those action steps, when we put them in practice, when we trust fully on the grace of God, when we identify the idols, when we see sin in our life as not a weakness, but as an enemy, and we ask the Lord for the grace and power to put it aside and instead drink deeply of who he is, you will experience inexpressible joy and become more and more like Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would take the truth of this, of your word. And Lord, that you would go beyond the inadequacies of the messenger. And Lord, that you would speak the powerful truth through your Holy Spirit into hearts and lives and you would set people free today. That they would see the areas in their life that I would see the areas in my life or I've been sipping the salt water of this world instead of finding my thirst be quenched by you. Oh Lord, do a work in us. Transform us because we belong to you. You are our hope. You are our life. Lord, do a work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.